0: Hello, welcome to Loving Susan, a podcast full of helpful ideas for those who love someone with a mental illness, such as depression, anxiety disorder, OCD, PTSD, BPD, bipolar, or schizophrenia. From Alexandra Georges, author of Mom and Me, My Journey with Mom's Schizophrenia. Welcome to our show. Hello, welcome, I'm Alexandra and I'm so glad you joined me again today for another one of my podcasts. Today's subject is going to be on what can we love and appreciate about who our loved one is today. All right, now some of you just wanted to turn me off instantly. Yeah, I understand. This subject may not be for everybody. It depends on where you're at in your journey and where your loved one's at. But for some of you, this is going to be a good topic. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there and hopefully help a few people. So if you are um, maybe in more, the more the early stages of your relationship with your loved one being sick, you might be where I was in the beginning, which was I just wanted her back. I wanted her the way she was prior to being sick. That's understandable. We love all those beautiful things we could share with them at that point. You know, I had a mom who tended very well to me in my childhood. And when she was then became delusional, her ability to tend to me was very limited because she had all this other noise in her brain, right? I wanted that old mom back. And I spent literally years trying to get her back, trying to fix her, trying to convince her, um, all to no avail. It didn't, it didn't work at all. But that was my acceptance process, or maybe more the better word is grief process of, you know, we have lost some things and some parts of them that we've really loved having. And there, there's sadness to that. Um, however, you might be further along in that. You might have gotten to the point where you realize I got no power here. I can't bring them back. So what do I do now? And this is, this topic's more for that, that area, if you're in that area of your life. Or I should say if you're in that part of your journey. Also, some folks with some mental illnesses um, may target one or two or a small number of people as the object of their uh, anger, rejection, venting. There can be that one person they just always go to and that's the person that gets it. And if you are that, this subject may also not be for you because you have very limited ability to have a positive relationship with your loved one because they have made you that target. And I want you to know you're not alone. That does happen to some people. I had it happen not to with my mother, but a different family member with a different mental illness chose to make me the object of all her anger and all her frustrations about her own, she had another person in her life with a mental illness. There's a lot of it in her family, but I became the object. And I really had no power with that. I wasn't able to get her to work with me on that, to discuss it, to go to therapy or anything. I had zero power. So I'm not able to have a relationship with her anymore where I can enjoy her. I would like to, but it's impossible. So you might be in that spot in your life and that case This may not be the topic for you, but for others, it will be. Not everybody is the target of the anger and frustration and venting. So um, let's think about that, if you're not. um, What I want to ask you is, what do you admire about your loved one right now as they are today? Think about that. What do you like about them? What do you love about them? You know, I mean, think about what is cool about who they are today. All right. This might take some serious long time thinking. You might not be able to do this real quickly. This might be something you ponder over time. Okay. Uh, With my mom and for many folks I've observed with mental illness, I've observed a very sweet heart in those folks many people with mental illnesses I want to say are sweet-hearted people really kind-hearted now when they're symptomatic you might see something different than them but when they're more at peace or even sometimes with the symptomatic people they can show that their hearts are very sweet is your loved one that way That's something to really appreciate and love about them not everybody in this world is sweethearted you know that also I've seeing that there's a good number of people with mental illnesses that are very creative and some of them and exceptionally so like their levels are amazing so let's ponder that a bit how about people with schizophrenia well sid barrett was a founding member of pink floyd he had schizophrenia peter green was a founding member of fleetwood mac he has schizophrenia and he wrote the song got a black magic woman you know that song Jim Gordon was one of the greatest drummers of his time, had schizophrenia, and he played with ev- like everybody in professional music, John Lennon, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, Everly Brothers, Beach Boys, Joe Cocker, Frank Zappa, Allman Brothers, I mean, you name it, he was something else. with schizophrenia? Tom Harrell, also had schizophrenia, was one of the most respected trumpeters and composers for the past 30 years. Brian Wilson has schizoaffective disorder. And think of all those wonderful songs he wrote with the Beach Boys. Just amazing, beautiful music. There's a great movie that came out pretty recently about him called Love and Mercy. I saw it. I thought it was pretty good, actually, so I'd recommend that. How about all the folks with bipolar in the arts? Did you know Beethoven? We believe he had bipolar. He wrote his most famous works during times of torment, loneliness, and suffering psychotic delusions. Hmm, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Peter Gabriel, we believe all have bipolar. Then there's uh, actors like uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Richard Dreyfuss, who scared the crap out of us in Jaws, has bipolar. Uh, Ernest Hemingway, Mark Twain, and Vincent Van Gogh. Think of the art that man's created. How about folks with depression in the arts? Well, my favorite actor of all time, Harrison Ford, has struggled with depression. I never would have thought that. I mean, you don't know what what people are dealing with. They must totally tell you. And how about Terry Bradshaw? You think of that man, how happy and go lucky he is on his NFL uh, shows that he's on and all the movies he's been in. That guy has actually struggled with depression, clinical depression. Billy Joel, how about Marie Osmond? Think of all the smiling teeth that woman shows. She's had depression. Pablo Picasso, and Drew Carey, Jim Carey, and Raji Dangerfield. Think of these guys and what they've done in the arts who struggled with mental illnesses. Uh, Charles Swartz, who's our famous creator of Peanuts, had anxiety disorder, as well as uh, Burt Reynolds, Nicolas Cage, Goldie Hawn. And then we know uh, Leonardo DiCaprio has been known to have issues with OCD and Dan Aykroyd, and Charles Dickens. And yet these folks, even with those mental illnesses, were able to create incredible art. I don't know if your loved one has any. of That may or may not. It doesn't necessarily go hand in hand. But for some people, yeah, there is. they are able to create incredible art. One of my favorite organizations in the world that I love, support, can't speak more highly about is called Thresholds in Chicago. Oh my goodness, are they ever doing it right? They do everything from A to Z to help people with mental illnesses. They're, you can learn a lot watching Thresholds and what they do. And one of the things they have is a whole creative arts therapy program with all kinds of wonderful support for people to use art to help them um, with their mental health recovery. They have studios, workshops, therapy groups, and they have art shows where they sell the art. And folks get to make a little money on what they create. So I just think, yay, yay! Thresholds, good job. Uh, My mom was also very creative. Loved to decorate. She studied a little bit of interior decorating in college, and was a great seamstress. You should have seen the the wardrobe she sewed for my Barbie doll, (laughs) as well as me. And in her later life, she would sew whole outfits with a needle and thread. I just couldn't believe what that woman could create which was very thorough for her, very helpful for her. And she created something so beautiful. And I just admired her so much for that. Another part of my mother that I admired for her, about her, even after she was sick, was her ability to be understanding and comforting to me. Now, again, not everybody with mental illness can do that. But for my mother, she was actually very empathetic and very understanding. Matter of fact, I would find times where she was the most understanding person in my life, which just flew me away. The woman who struggled with hearing voices and having delusions, you know. But uh, I remember calling her up and saying, oh, mom, I just gained five pounds. And her answer would be, well, you know, that's all right. We love you as you are. You'll get it off when you're ready. I mean, it was like right on the money. The best thing you could say to me. You know, if I called my dad, he'd say, yeah, I know, I'm heavy too. Oh, well, like, (laughs) not that that that's bad. That was pretty good. But my mother would always top everybody. It's just, not always, I should say, not always, oftentimes would top everybody in her empathetic response to me. I don't know. That was just, that was her, I guess, just what I was able to obtain from her as far as blessings, even with, you know, post-illness. Another thing I loved about my mother is I would walk in a room where she was in, like when I'd go visit her at her nursing home, and her face would light up with a smile from ear to ear, and she'd say, Sandy, like, <laughs> like she hadn't seen me in a year. It was so cool to be greeted with this, oh my gosh, you're here, like I was a rock star or something, but to her I was. And I got to tell you, that just that's just so nice. I thought, well, I got one big fan in the world. It is her. And that was so beautiful for me to receive. You know, just something else I appreciated about her. Also, I loved her kind of unusual and quirky way of looking at the world and expressing herself. Now, for me, this was endearing. This was something beautiful and cool. And I challenge you to think about that with your loved one. Maybe some of the ways they say things, instead of saying, oh, that's not the way to say it maybe instead think, that is kind of neat that they think differently, that they have this kind of cool, unusual perspective. Why not embrace what's interesting and cool about that? So for example, my mother would call me about twice a week and we would talk maybe 10 minutes, not very long. But anyway, she'd call and she'd always say this, hello, this is your mother, Mrs. Georgia, Susan, and Aurora. (laughs) Every time it was Mrs. Last name first, town. Okay, I had caller ID, you know, I knew it was her. And even if I didn't, I knew her voice. She was my mother. But she always felt the need to tell me, Mrs. Last name first, town. (laughs) Every time she called, like I was gonna confuse her with another mother I had. Uh, I loved it so much though, my brother and I would actually call one another and do the same thing. I'd say, hey, this is your sister, Mrs. Georgia Sandy, and you know, my town. It was just her, you know. I was uh, dating my now husband and brought him to meet her for the first time. And I said, uh, well, my mom and I love shoes. I have probably 80 pairs of shoes right now. I've had up to 100, I got rid of some, but I love shoes. Of course, I only wear like the same five pair over and over. I don't know why I have so many shoes. I can't even wear them all, but I just like them. And my mom has always been a shoe lover. So I said, Mom, can you explain to Roger why you and I like shoes so much? She said, well, if your feet look good, you feel good. (laughs) Roger said, well, that kind of makes sense. And she turned to me and said, well, looks like I'm your new shoe lawyer. (laughs) Didn't know I needed one. Apparently I did. So anytime I need to negotiate shoes, I just bring my mother along and she will help with that, I guess. (laughs) You know, just her cool and unusual way of expressing herself. Very endearing to me. Another time I went to visit her and she was in her 70s and in a wheelchair. Her hip was so bad she couldn't walk anymore. And this old man wheeled up. She said, oh, 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 this is Walter. Walter, I want you to meet my daughter. This is my daughter, Sandy. Sandy, this is Walter, my boyfriend. Walter, his face had a look of shock, like what? I'm what? Apparently he didn't know. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) I said, nice to meet you, Walter. I went to visit her the next time. I visit her about every other week at that point in life. I said, mom, how's it going with Walter? Oh, well, we broke up. What happened? Well, he just doesn't do it for me anymore. I said, well, maybe because he doesn't know that he's your boyfriend. (laughs) It was just, you know, her way of looking at life. And it was different, but it was cute. It was adorable. It made my life so much more enriched just enjoying her. I don't know if that's possible for you with your loved one, but I hope it is. I hope that you might get to that... Ability to embrace what is special and even a blessing to you, even now. And I'm going to end with this wonderful, um, article, short article by a woman named Emily Pearl Kingsley wrote for Sesame Street, great author still around. It's called Welcome to Holland. I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability. In this case, having a loved one with a disability. To try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it. to, um, To imagine how it would feel. It's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make your wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the Gondolas of Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later at the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, Welcome to Holland. Holland? You say, what do you mean Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamed of going to Italy. There's been a change in the flight plan. They landed in Holland and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine and disease. That's my cat. It's just a different place. (laughs) So you must go out and buy new guidebooks and you must learn a whole new language. And you will meet a whole new group of people that you would have never have met. It's just a different place. It's a slower paced place than Italy. It's less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you get get to catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. Holland has tulips. Holland has Rembrandts. But everyone knows, everyone you know, sorry, is busy coming and going from Italy. And they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yeah, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever, ever go away. Because the loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning that fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. All right. so That's my talk for today. I hope that helps inspire you to think about the Holland you're in now. What is beautiful about where you're at now? And with that, if you want to contact me, I'd love to hear from you. My email is G-E-O-R-G-A-S at comcast.net. I'll definitely answer your email. And with that, tune in again next week. God bless and take care.